Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Praise the Lord. My name is Jacob Gilbert, and welcome to Scripture Unleashed. Today we'll go through Genesis chapters 1 through chapter 15 and Psalm chapter 1 through chapter 3. Uh, we'd like to note that we will be using only the King James Version as our references. Um, if you'd like to know more of why, you can contact us through our Facebook page. Uh, please remember, if your pastor teaches differently than what you hear in this episode, you must listen to your pastor. God placed your pastor over you as a guide to Christ. And with all of that preliminary said, let's get into the content. Uh, starting in Genesis chapter 1, guys, is there anything? Uh, I'm joined here, obviously, with my three friends, uh, Anthony Lamb, hey, hey. Seth Springer, hey. and Joseph Hostetler. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to go through Scripture and kind of pull out some stuff. Uh, maybe you don't know about or things that uh, you might already know but might learn a little bit more on the way. Uh, so, yeah, let's go, guys. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, what do you got? Everything we see, smell, hear, taste, feel is crafted by God He's, and is therefore under his authority. Okay. That's awesome. Genesis yeah. uh, 1, 1, I think, is the most not just Genesis 1-1, but all of Genesis 1 is the most foundational scripture in the Bible for uh, apologetics, for whatever, you know, because in our defense of scripture, because if we can eliminate or the world can eliminate Genesis chapter 1, you can eliminate the rest of scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you, you know, if you invalidate one part, you can invalidate the rest. If this is not true, how can we believe the rest of it? So Genesis 1 is absolutely... Uh, a most amazing chapter for that. And as we, as you read through that, uh, just you, you just begin to see how God created everything, just how, uh, powerful it is, you know, and, uh, just, I mean, just amazing, just amazing things that are coming out of Genesis one there, lots of depth mm -hmm. and all kinds of good stuff there, but the, uh, sorry, somebody else. I think that, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and Seth might get into a little bit. He had something to say about Genesis 1, 1 and, and 1, 2. But, you know, really that scripture is um, it's understood through faith. I believe Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, uh, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And, you know, really what it boils down to, like Seth was saying, is, if we don't believe Genesis 1-1, and, and how do we believe it? it? You know, it's it's by faith. It's by faith in the yeah. Word of God. Uh, if we don't believe that, then there, there's nothing really else to discuss. But it, it's understood through faith, Hebrews 11-3 says. Yeah. Yeah, and I like – I'm going to steal something from you, Seth, here. I like your – your uh, your note here that uh, you know God has no need of an explanation or introduction. You know he every superhero has a has a uh, origin story except for one. You know God mm. doesn't have a beginning, doesn't know no end, and so he's he's the only eternal one. And and so the fact that we are introduced to him as in the beginning God created. You know, we're not given any backstory about what happened before. It's just boom, right there. 
Right. Uh, right. Right. It's, it's, it's powerful. And it really is. And you know, it's, if you start digging into Genesis one, it's so powerful. Like, you know, just as it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay. Um, and then he created it for a reason. Isaiah 45 and 18 says, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I'm the Lord mm-hmm. and there's none else. That's what it says. So he made earth for a reason. Right. He, yeah. he made it to be inhabited also, you know, obviously by us humans, <laughs> animals, all this type thing. But I think one of the greatest things, you know, if you begin to dive into the, why did God create the earth? You know, some people say, well, obviously there was a rebellion in heaven. You know, and he cast out Satan and he had to have somewhere to put him. You know, maybe they would say that. But I believe, too, God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, and especially the earth and us who inhabit the earth, because he desires us to worship him and to live for him. And he desires praise. You know, the Bible says in Psalm that uh, Psalms that praise is comely. It's beautiful, you know, to the upright for the upright right. to give God praise. And so that's, he yeah, created it with that in mind. So yeah, just Genesis one, one foundational, you know, all these different things we could incorporate into it. We take it on faith. Yeah. Amen. I think another thing about Genesis one is it, it's the first time we read about God's word being spoken mm-hmm. and the power of the spoken word um, something that we underestimate is the power of our prayers. Well, we're created in the image of God. How, how did God create things? How did God set things in motion? It was through his voice. Right. It, it was through his word. Um, so when we align with him, uh, and there's no telling what we can do, that scripture, right. uh, verse 2, says the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then I think it's interesting that it says, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God has a spirit. It's alive. It's vibrant. It's always moving. It's never stagnant. Um, yeah. And I, I love how there's that correlation right away of the water and of the spirit together. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, that even, even that is kind of, it gives you a kind of like a type and shadow yeah. of baptism in Jesus name and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost right there, right, from you the see it right there in the beginning. Yeah. You know, uh, that water washing over everything and the spirit moving upon it. Um, did, if I can real quick, I was trying to search it out where you were talking, uh, Seth, uh, you were talking about, you know, that the earth was made for a purpose. Um, Psalms one fifteen sixteen says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. You know, it, the earth was given to us. It was it was almost as it were a present to us. Uh, it, we are the ones given dominion over it, you know, as we as we read uh, throughout the rest of Genesis one. Right. Right. Uh, that is good. That is good. Not to get controversial, but, uh, you know, you guys brought up Genesis one, one and Genesis one, two. And uh, okay, to get controversial here, uh, <laughs> Genesis one one and one two. We were talking about it briefly before the show, but um, there's this theory that has floated around for a while, 
And, uh, you know, I know you guys, we talked about a little bit, so feel free to add in here as we go, but it's called the gap theory that between Genesis one, one and Genesis one, two, there is this gap of time. So, so people would read Genesis one, one to say in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay. That happened. And then they would say there was some kind of, um, thing, some kind of period of time. And then we move on to Genesis one, two, and it says, and the earth was without form and void. I'm not sure how they get that. Um, uh, I know, I know, <laughs> I know theory. One, one theory that people have is that if you notice, and th- again, this is a theory that I've heard myself concerning that, um, if you notice everything that he creates is good. So their question is, is why was the earth without form and void? What happened? You know, if everything that God's created is good, as you see throughout Genesis one, what happened there? So that's just, that's one of the things that they'll bring up. Yeah. And that's, that's great speculation. Um, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, um, the Bible says in Exodus 20 and 11, you know, it says for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and mm-hmm. all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then again, we'll yeah. see in Exodus 31 and 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And if you read through Genesis 1, um, you don't really see a time frame. I believe, um, I, I wholeheartedly believe that to insert a, a gap of time, whether that's millions, billions of years, um, is a letdown on the scriptures of them as a whole. Uh, does that make right. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, so I, I did a little research here, and uh, as I said, you know, the Bishop, Apostle, Reverend, uh, Wikipedia, <laughs> it's, Wikipedia. <laughs> it says uh, gap creationism became increasingly attractive, and I took this verbatim. Give him credit. Near the end of the 18th and first half of the 19th centuries, because the newly established science of geology had determined that the earth was far older than common interpretations of Genesis and the Bible-based flood geology would allow. Gap creation allowed religious geologists who composed the majority of the geological community at the time to reconcile their faith in the Bible with the new authority of science. I emphasis there, the new authority of science. The Bible right, teaches yeah. that it is the word of God alone. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for mm-hmm. doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then first Timothy six twenty, and I'll read it in the King James and also the English Standard Version, but it says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. Um, and so, you know, he's calling science there, you know, he's saying, watch out for this, avoid uh, profane right. and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called like this science. That's not really science. The English standard version yeah. says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So people in our day and age, you know, mm-hmm. they're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, the Bible says. And so the authority we have is the word of God, not science. Um, science yeah, is supposed right. to prove the word of God. And so the authority of, is the word of God in our lives. If you're an apostolic listening to podcasts, the authority is not science. It's the word of God. If science right. says one thing that's good, and the Bible says another thing, we follow the Bible because eventually yeah. science, will that's catch, right. science will catch up someday. 
I mean, we don't have to reconcile the two, you know, although I, I really believe true science will back up a literal six day creation and, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll place the earth right around, you know, 6,000 to 10,000 years old or so. Um, you know, we don't have to reconcile the two. We just, we just believe the word of God, as brother Joe said in faith and guess what? Right. Science is going to catch up one day. Um, yeah. And they already are. Yeah. There's scientists all over that, that believe it, but um, you know, there's no room in the scriptures for the gap theory. There's not. It's six days. God created it. You can take it or leave it. Right. And I'm done. Amen. I just left it. That's yeah. good. <laughs> Mic drop. You know, what, one thing one thing that I would point out too is that uh I I like science, not in like the you know, false stuff, but like true <laughs> science and stuff like that. Believe me. Uh, but one thing that I that I do notice is that um, there, and I say there is is all of science in a whole. Um, carbon dating and and those kind of dating things have so many false positives. Um, I've read source after source that that these these things they'll get you know ones that'll say that it's six thousand years old, but then they'll also get at the same time one that shows that it's you know a million years old. But because of their mindset of saying oh clearly it's millions of years old they discard the what they are calling false positives of only six thousand or so years uh and you know i'm I'm not really trying to debate any scientists but but just that in itself really shows that you know there's a bias there Mm -hmm. in what they're finding right and they're trying to pull it away from the what truth really is um no that's good that's absolutely good i've read several books and, you know, several articles and, and again, I'm no scientist. I'm hopefully I'm a more of a theologian, but you know, like that's, yeah. that's the book of my life, you know, but um, yeah. yeah, carbon dating is, uh, you know, I was talking with a geologist and uh, he said um, to 10,000 years, you know, they give about 10,000 years on carbon dating. And then after that, it is horribly inaccurate. And so you, you can't yeah. say something's a million years old. And then with, with the fossils and the, the, the rock layers the, or the, you know, the earth layers, um, you know, they, they, if you turned a bone in at a, uh, university said this, you know, I found this, this dinosaur bone and they said, well, where'd you find it? What layer of soil did you find it in? Um, you would say you would have to give them a layer of soil and then they would give you, uh, the age of the fossil. And if you if you couldn't tell them the the layer of soil you found it in, they could not give you the age of the fossil because they have this circular reasoning and it just comes from nowhere. And so, you know, we have the word of God and we know where it comes from, you know. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we just stick with the word all through Genesis. We stick with the word over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see, Seth, you have a note here about uh, God's speaking in plurals. Want to take it away with that? Yeah, I'll just do all the talking tonight, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm good at it. That's what my wife says, anyways. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. She never said that. Um, <laughs> she, she didn't say you're good at it. She just said you do it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Right. She probably didn't have a chance to say anything. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, that kidding. was good. That was good. Prop. <laughs> that was that was really good. Um, Genesis, yeah. <laughs> Genesis one one twenty six. I love that. That's hilarious. Um, but the Bible does say this, and I I feel like you know I remember being a young uh, apostolic, and and uh, again I wasn't always in 
and right with God when I was a young person. But when I, I tried, there was moments in my life where I would try. And uh, I remember like, you know, talking with kids at school and I was about the only apostolic in my school. And that was in Arkansas. So that was, that was a rarity. You know, no, that's not true. There was two or three of us. Um, but you know, most of them were Baptists where I was from in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to them and I would say, you know what? Uh, Jesus is God. And I had people say, no, he's not. He's different. He's not, he's not God. No, no, no. Jesus is God. And so they have this confusion in their minds of this plurality of persons that somehow God is more than one person. And I've had people point me to Genesis 126 to try to prove that. And so what it says, if you guys want to turn there, if you're following along your Bible, whoever's listening, but Genesis 126, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Three things that stick out there um, for a oneness apostolic, three little, little chunks of uh, phraseology there. And it is um, uh, let us God speaking, let us, so a plural, uh, God said also we're going to make man in our image, uh, again, a plural, and our likeness, again, a plural. And so people would point there to say, see, you know, God uh, is three persons or God is multiple gods. You know, I'm like, I'm not sure how you come up with that. Um, again, because Genesis 127, the very next verse, uh, if you want to turn there, and I'm going to turn there as well. But it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. But yeah. so there's a plural word there. So it's kind of like, okay, God is singular. We find that out in Genesis 1.1. We find that out in Genesis 1.27. We find that out in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. We find that out yeah. All, yeah. all throughout the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah yes. 44 and 24, Isaiah 45 and 5, and we can go on and on and on. And so God is just one. So why does he say, let us in our image, in our likeness? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's two explanations I have right off the top. And one is simply this. There is uh, the royal we. That is mm-hmm. a term yep. in English that we use. For instance, an author will write a book and he would say um, or she would say, uh, we feel, uh, you know, whatever. You know, in response to what's going on in our day and age, we feel that we should write this book at this time. And it would be one author speaking. So there is that. Yeah, that vocabulary—that's a thing. Uh, it's called the royal we. I also looked it up. And two, uh, it happens uh, a few times in Scripture. Uh, there's an instance in Daniel. He says, "You know, we will give you the interpretation." He's talking to the king, and um, he's, by, you know, he's speaking by himself. We will give you the interpretation. So it's just one, but he says we. It's a way of, of speech. But then another instance, um, kings would say. If they were re, uh, responding or writing a letter to another monarch, they would say we. And what it does, that we, even though they're singular, it represents all the power and authority that they possess. Yeah. So we, yeah. but that the word is bigger than just me by myself, you know, because he represents, yeah. the king represents all the power and authority of his whole kingdom. And then again, uh, you guys, I'm going to be done here in just about 30 seconds, but in in the the hebrew the original language of the scriptures and i am no hebrew scholar but i and i know hebrew scholars will back me up on this um the word here in genesis 126 and god is elohim jacob can you confirm that i know you're kind of a, a hebraic you know uh, a scholar but uh, the word is yeah, elohim. elohim 
And yep. so the word Elohim in and of itself is is uh, is plural, not in number. No Jew would ever say God is a plurality of anything. They would say he's mm, absolutely right. one by yeah. himself. So you can't, you know, that's the Old Testament, just one God. He's singular. But to denote his power and majesty, they would literally say he's Elohim. He's he's you know, he's a they. He's our, you know, he's he's a he's a you know, let us he can say that because he represents all the power and authority of heaven. And so one commentator put it like this, and this was a Trinitarian commentator. He said, uh, he said this, the plural construction more likely is to indicate that the full wisdom of the Godhead, the Hebrew Elohim, has a plural ending, comes into play at this decisive moment. <laughs> That's what he says. Mm. So. That's good. You know, that was a Trinitarian literally saying this is mm. not the Trinity. This is not <laughs> three persons. This is God representing <laughs> the full power and wisdom of all that he possesses. Right. So that's good. That's good. So one thing that I know uh, I would like to point out in our make man in our image is that God doesn't start using this plural. We until God creates somebody that he is ruling over. He doesn't start talking about, and you see the same thing when we get into Genesis chapter um, two, when it kind of shows a little bit more of what happened um, in creating Adam and Eve uh, in verse seven, uh, it says, and the Lord God up to this point, oops, sorry, verse five as well and four. Man. Okay. Anyways, so it's not until you see man created that God gets the title Lord. Um, it's not that's until, good. That's right. It's not until he gets that, which actually this Lord that we're looking at here in this is all capital letters, meaning Jehovah. that is actually his name, Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on how you desire to pronounce it. Um, and this, his name, Jehovah or Yahweh, means uncreated. It, it means, you know, he who is... Uh, who is the the existing one is the literal interpretation, right? Um, it's mm -hmm. the since he's the only one that doesn't have a beginning. Once he creates somebody who has a beginning, now he gets this this name, this title of being Yahweh or Jehovah, um, and that is how he's described throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, even up until the even now, when we say the name Jesus, we're saying Jehovah is our salvation. Yes. Yeah, I think what's um, interesting so, is there, whatever we call him, it always corresponds to our relationship with him. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He is always. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Everything that we say about God has to deal with who he is as being eternal and having to and denoting what our relationship is to him. So yeah, you're right with that. He's you not know, a even the Lord God. Somebody needs deliverance. He's not a healer until somebody needs healing and, yeah. and then there he is as a healer there he is as i i talked about today uh, in valley city um he wasn't a comforter until somebody needed comfort and he became mm -hmm. that right yeah yeah and since uh i guess since i just kind of jumped us into chapter two uh let's go i know let's let's hop on into chapter two 
Um, actually, there's really only one thing in here, uh, note-wise, that somebody put down. And uh, Brother Joe, you want to go with that? All right. And all the married men better agree with me when the in Genesis two eighteen the Lord God said, "It is not good that a man should be alone." Glory, amen. <laughs> Make him and help me for him. And uh, of course, Genesis <laughs> chapter two, the end of it, we see where God institutes marriage, and He said, "It's not good." Yep. For a man to be alone, and uh, I think that's still true today. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. God yeah, it for is. Good wife. And uh, of course, we see that God, uh, how the woman was created, and uh, when Adam saw her, he said, "Whoa, man!" And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how she. That's how she that's got right. her name. <laughs> or yeah, how well, he described her. But, well, one thing that's interesting is that is that she is not called Eve until they fall. Right. She's called woman. Right? That's true. Um, up until that point, she doesn't get a name until they until they fall. Uh, it's just kind of a silly little factoid right there. Yeah, and uh, and, and if you look further in one place, it says uh, he called them Adam. They were both yeah. called Adam. So, yep. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. that all signifies, but it's kind of neat, right? Yeah, I wonder. Maybe the maybe it should be that the woman always takes the man's names, but I won't meddle with that. Well, <laughs> see, they, not not always anymore, but <laughs> anyway. I think I think another okay. thing to point out is uh, some something about marriage is it's God instituted. Right. It's, yes. It's yeah. Um, obviously, people try to make it into something else, but ultimately, those those of you that are married, you know this that uh, when you when you marry, there is a new aspect of your relationship with God that you consider as Christ loves the church is how men are supposed to love their, their wives. Um, so even from the very beginning, there's this, uh, you know, God said it's not good that man should dwell alone. Uh, and there's a parallel between God and man. So I think it really speaks to how how much God he longs for that relationship with the church. He longs for that relationship mm-hmm. with creation. Somebody yeah. that was taken out of him just as Eve was taken out of Adam. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. That's that's like what I taught today uh, for Sunday school. Um, the you know the rending of the veil was because God wanted a relationship with us so much that he you know after his after Christ's death on the cross after the, the, you know, the, the man Christ died for our sins, God rends the, the veil that separated us from the ho- most holy place and allows us that access to him, right. um, making us priests, um, him being the high priest, you know, Christ being the high priest, but making us priests, uh, to have that personal relationship with him. Yeah. Um, I know we have a lot of stuff or I think actually, Almost all of us m- noted something um, in Genesis three. We're going to jump there. Um, one of the things in this this is the chapter where we see the fall of man. Uh, in, in my notes that I put uh, in the first five verses here, we see um, where Eve is beguiled by the serpent. She's confused by the serpent. Um, but the reason that this happens is because she adds to the word of God. Um, verse yeah. two and three, it says, but you know, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, 
he shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Right there is where she messes up. When Adam, and he was alone at this point when God tells him that he cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, uh, but he, uh, she adds to this, excuse me, she adds to this word by saying you shall not even touch it lest you die. And because of this, because of her, her unwittingness of the scriptures, hmm. the serpent is able to turn her words on her. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what he actually said. Um, and, and I point to this as, as an importance, um, not only not to add to the word of God, but knowing the word of God for yourself. Right. Right. Making sure so you important. know it. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. And, and like, you know, Adam, um, in my opinion, I, I look at it like this, and this is, uh, as my pastor would say, Puckett theology, I say Gilbert theology. Um, but that that Adam, when Eve was created, that he was the one as the ma- as the man of God, the man in the house, um, he told her uh, what God had said. And he more than likely said, you know, you, sh- you cannot eat of that tree. And then he probably added, don't even go near it. Don't even touch it. Right. And because of him adding that, maybe not, we don't have scripture for this. That's why I say it's Gilbert theology. Um, But that's so, it's so important not to push our own convictions onto other people because, you know, there's a thing in, in, and I pray all of you that are listening, you know, I don't, I myself keep myself clean shaven uh, as a directive by my pastor, but, the whole thing with having uh, in the UPCI having a beard and all that kind of stuff, uh, it can kind of become a, a stumbling block for other people because they start to, to grow out a beard. Well, then they say, well, and nothing's happened to me yet. You know, Eve, when she reached for this fruit, she grabbed this fruit from off the tree and she noticed she didn't die as soon as she touched it. And so she said, okay, well, if I didn't die from touching it, what'll taking a bite do to me? Um, and I just, I just use the beard thing as, as, uh, just a, for instance, there's anything, but the danger of pushing a conviction on anybody, um, and, and that person themselves needs to know the word of God for themselves. It's important that they know the word so they can form their own convictions. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then, uh, Brother Seth, I noticed you had something here on, on the next, on verse 6. Are we in Genesis 3? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was I got distracted by the beard thing, man. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I have, I have I some very it, large opinions on that. So, um, but anyways, yeah, <laughs> Genesis 3, 6. Uh, you know, this is where Satan or the serpent, you know, we know it as Satan. Um, has has uh, which also kind of an interesting parallel. You know, we we find Satan starting out as a serpent, and then we get to Revelation, and he becomes a dragon. So notice that you know throughout time he's he's uh, anyways grown and <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, you could edit that out if you want, but <laughs> in Genesis in Genesis three six, you know, um, you see. Uh, you know, my Bible here, a little subheading is the fall of man, but it starts out with the temptation of Eve and the serpent, you know, that she's the most subtle creature in all the, 
the garden and, you know, and, uh, but the, you know, God had told him, don't, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. And, you know, Satan comes up, gets her to question the word of God. That's how he starts. He gets us to question the word of God. Did God really say, you know, and then it, he starts playing on that, that, that our yeah. doubts and our whatever. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, and you notice in verse six that she be. Hello. Hello. You there, Seth? Mm. Uh Oh, Seth checked out and now he's out. So. All right. (laughs) Man, I don't know what this app is doing. What in the world? He's probably still just rattling on, not paying attention. (laughs) I'll text on the group. I just did. (laughs) Oh, he did. Going back to his comment about uh, in the beginning, it was Satan was recognized as a snake creature. And then at the end, he's this dragon. I think it kind of goes to show how just a little sin left unchecked can grow and grow and uh, sooner or later destroy my destroy you my yeah. bad guys i uh my time oh, thing went are. off hey. so i just i had to fix that um so did, where did i start again <laughs> uh you were talking about <laughs> what were you talking about you're talking about you're you're leading in this is three six wow uh, that's terrible i hate doing that um we're going to edit all this out. Right. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So I was talking about the, no, tem- the, the temptation of, you know, in Genesis three that I, you know, where we, you have the, the serpent comes up, gets her to question the word of God, that, that doubt is in her mind, isn't in Eve's mind here in Genesis chapter three. And she is, she is beginning to maybe doubt the word of God. You know, he says, did, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, in, in verse three, Genesis three, three, but of the fruit of the tree was in the midst of the garden. God has said, "Ye shall not eat it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's what she said to the serpent. But then the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. You know, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. That's knowing good and evil. And then, so he gets her to doubt what God said, the word of God. Um, and then not only that, he begins to play on that and, uh, and then her, uh, you know, Satan will get us to, uh, doubt the word of God and then he'll get us to, um, to question it a little bit, maybe in our minds, the battle is right in between the greatest battle living for God is not uh, what you face every day or all the people that come into contact with you. the greatest battle and living for God is the, the one in your mind. That is where it all starts. And that, and so the devil begins to yeah. play into her mind. Right. And then, and then, so you look at verse six and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And I think it parallels perfectly with first John chapter two, verses 15 through 17. And uh, it says this, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then verse 16, um, it says, 
for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And mm-hmm, the world right. passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so what she does here is a perfect uh, parallel. She, she saw that the tree was good for food. It appealed to uh, the lust of her flesh. It looked like it was good. And then also, yeah. and she, it was pleasant to the eyes, this fruit, this temptation. It was pleasant to the eyes. So the lust of the eyes is in act here. And then also, you notice this, in a tree to be desired to make one wise. Satan had just planted that seed. You know, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Um, and so she had pride rise up inside of her. I want to I want to know good and evil. I want to be as God. And so he played on those three things. The lust of the flesh, she saw it was good. The lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to her eyes. And then also it, she desired it to to uh, uh, to make one wise, it was desired to make one wise, and there's the pride of life, and uh, and then you notice that's how sin uh, can come into our lives through our our senses, flesh, eyes, and our pride. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that made sense. Does anybody? But... No. No. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Does anybody have anything else on? Three. Oh yeah, Joe, you've had yeah, some I stuff think, on. You know, I think uh, going right after that, when uh, after we see the fall of of mankind, when God confronts them, um, you know, in Genesis three twelve, um, eight or thirteen, God said unto the woman, or God said unto Adam, He said, uh, uh, "What'd you do?" You know, basically, uh, you know, what mm-hmm. what'd yeah. you do? And the man, of course, blamed his wife, and. Uh, Really, in a roundabout way, he kind of tried to blame God. If you noticed how he worded it, he said, yeah, uh, "True, the woman whom thou gavest be with me." So he yeah. kind of tries to blame God a little bit, like you gave her to me, and she tried to deceive me. And uh, he said, "She or she gave me of the tree, and I did eat." The Lord God said unto the woman, uh, "You know what is it that thou hast done?" And the woman, of course, said, "The serpent uh, beguiled me." And so I think it just really shows, uh, you know, the human nature to uh, shirk responsibility for where it's easier to try to blame everybody else for for our failures. Maybe, um, you know, people have all kinds of reasons for all kinds of things that they do. Um, you know, my my dad mistreated me as a kid. That's why I'm mean to my wife or, you know, my dad. Was yeah, we see that a lot. Yep, that's why yeah. I'm an alcoholic. And people really, sometimes it's really hard for people to take ownership, just right. like we see. And this is not a new thing. I mean, this started way back in the garden. Uh, you know, it's not a yeah. new thing. But really, we can see that that didn't get them anywhere with God at all. So we're never going to yeah, get anywhere true. with God until we take ownership of our own shortcomings, our own sins, our own problems. Uh, take ownership, and that that's when God can that's good yeah which which that is uh oh i lost what i was gonna say sorry no no (laughs) edit (laughs) no that's Uh, that's that's where repentance that's what i was trying to think of Uh, that's really where repentance comes in um is you know when we repent we're saying i have sinned exactly you know i am a sinner um it's not, that's where I'm it, sorry, but it was actually Jacob's fault. 
you know, that's correct. That's, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Not right. And that's not that's not right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's it's so important to have the right attitude with God, especially in our day and age. We all want to, you know, it's it's very pushed. We want to be the victim. But really, you know, God is looking for, you know, you to admit fall. It shows humility yep. with that. That's Psalm 34, 18. It says the Lord is, you know, basically is near to those of a broken and of a contrite heart. Right. Yeah. So, you know what, God, I'm wrong. Right. He loves that. Right. Right, exactly. And, you know, this just, I was just talking um, to someone very recently that had been through uh, two divorces. He's a pretty young man, uh, has already been married twice, divorced twice. And, uh, you know, it was both times it was his wife's fault or his ex wife now. But, you know, it just, you know, it's her fault. Mm. I wanted to yeah. work it out, but she didn't want to. And, uh, you know, where truthfully, we can see right through that. But, yeah. All right. Um, jumping into chapter four. Um, a couple of us have some stuff. Uh, mine, um, I'm really into like reading into people's names and stuff like that. So uh, one thing I noticed with Cain and Abel here, this is where we start seeing um, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Um, but Cain's name means possession or, or acquire to, to gain. And Abel's name means breath or nothing. Um, and it's just, to me, it's kind of, it kind of shows the contrast here. And especially as you read their story um, of what these two men were like, uh, Cain was kind of focused on the natural. Um, he was focused on the here and now, whereas Abel was more for, focused on the eternal um, in trying to please God rather than himself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see that, uh, but Joe, you have some stuff. Yeah, I think that on Cain. Yeah, there. Cain. Of course, this is the sons of uh, Adam and Eve. But uh, we see in Genesis chapter four, the beginning of it, the process of time. It came to pass in verse three that Cain uh, brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought he brought an uh, an offering as well. But but the Bible says that. Um, he had that the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And I think it just kind of shows that Cain has a, he just really has a bad attitude. Um, like, you know, I, uh, uh, why, why, why doesn't my way work? Or it's kind of a poor me attitude. Um, you know, Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell when it's like, Cain, why don't you just learn and, Whatever God's, uh, whatever God likes, just do it. But yeah. you know he's got this bad attitude, and then God even comes back and He says, "Said Cain, if if thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted?" Like why do you got this bad attitude, Cain? This yeah. poor, poor me, self-centered attitude. When all you got to do is turn around. Uh, you know what's Abel doing? That's right. You just do it too. But you know yeah. Cain's pride, uh, his poor me attitude, kind of got in the way of. And, and we see, you know, we really see where that, where that leads him because it ends up, he kills his brother. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we see that, that Cain's attitude never really changed because he, uh, even in verse 13, uh, Cain, I, you know, I'm kind of reading into it a little bit here, but it seems yeah. to me like Cain still has a bad attitude. Yeah. Uh, he said, my, you know, my punishment is greater. 
that I can bear. And he says stuff in here that God didn't say to him. Um, you know, he says, yeah. it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me uh, shall slay me. And, you know, these are some of the things that he's just really just laid it on to himself pretty thick. Mm. And a lot of times when people do that, it's nothing other than self-pity. And, uh, mm. and, and, you know, we can go into a lot of things with that. But suicide, all these things, I think is just self-centeredness a lot of times. But, you know, Cain has uh he just really has this bad attitude never really left him caused him to kill his brother and afterward he still has it yeah yeah i know that um one thing that I, and i taught this uh a couple weeks ago in tioga um but that the uh the story of cain and abel really kind of shows you know in the in after man had sinned you know god in just the previous chapter god created them uh, these aprons, these these garments made out of animal skin. So they he had to slay an animal to create the covering for them, right. um, which kind of shows us, you know, that that blood was required for our sin. Death, you know, the the wages of sin is death. Yes. Um, and Cain and Abel here, we see that Abel seems to understand this, and he brings an animal, the first of his flock, um, yes, to offer to the Lord. Whereas Cain just brings the fruit of his ground, and. Uh, one thing that's that's that I pointed out in Tioga is that there is only one way. You know, there's right. only one way to God. It's his way or the highway. That's it. And, you know, right. what you said when you pointed that out, Joe, that, you know, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Well, of course you will. You know, right. if mm-hmm. you do as God commands, there's nothing that can, you know, separate you from right. from that. Right. Let's see. Yeah, I think That's, it's um good. Yeah, go, Anthony. Oh, I was just I was just thinking that when brother Joe brought out that there's this bad attitude that Cain possesses. Really, every seems like every single thing that he's talking about is it all comes back to him. What's in it right. for me? You know, how can this please me? Oh, this punishment doesn't affect me the way I want it to. Um, if we're not careful, we can live our lives thinking that, that right. we're supposed yeah. to be happy. Um, our, I think that's the problem with a lot of people in today's world. They're searching for happiness when really they should be searching to please God. Right. They, yeah. they, I mean, you can't serve both God and mammon. Um, it's right. like, like Jacob had said, it's, it's either God's way or it's, there's really no other way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If he's the Lord, then how can we be Lord? Right. Yeah. Right. Amen. That's very good. Yeah. It is. The, uh, a couple things I noticed there, I wanted to, you know, I, I, uh, should have said it maybe in three, but, uh, it, it kind of goes into four, but Genesis chapter four, verse 10 this is after Abel's murdered, but Cain, God is speaking to Cain. And in verse 10, he says, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Mm-hmm. Just like to point that out, that blood says something to God. Yes. And that's yes. obviously, that's life being taken. You know, yeah. you'll see that throughout the scriptures. Blood means something to God. I'm not, 
you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, you know, I know that the Bible says in, in uh, I believe it's Leviticus 17, 11, but the life of the flesh is the blood. Yep. And so maybe because it's just life and that's scientific in and of itself, but um, you know, that there's just life there and life is so precious to God. And so blood means something. And so you have, God, you know, Adam and Eve, they sin in Genesis chapter three. And what does God do? He covers them. You know, he kills a goat, um, you know, in 21 and Adam and all it says unto Adam also unto his wife. Did the Lord make co- uh, make coats of skins and clothe them? Um, maybe it wasn't a goat. Excuse me. <laughs> but, you know, he killed something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, for some reason in my head, it was a goat. But <laughs> he killed something and and covered their basically their nakedness or he covered maybe their shame right with blood you know there was a there yeah. was a life taken there and a life uh you know that it took blood to cover sin and then obviously Cain and Abel in Genesis 4 um there was uh the animal the blood sacrifice uh did something you yeah. know the law wasn't instituted yet but we know they gave sacrifices and they gave sacrifices obviously as some kind of peace offering or sin offering or something to God. And I believe it would be a sin offering or something to that effect because, you know, Hebrews nine twenty two, uh, and it says, and almost all things are by the law, you know, purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. We're talking about sins. Right. And, uh, and so they, they shed the blood was shed to cover sins. And so this is, you know, Abel's come to the Lord. I want my sins covered. I'm going to offer what God wants. He's, he wants blood. He wants sins to be covered. And so, uh, you know, that's what pleased the Lord. He had his sins covered, right. you know. And uh, so, I mean, we could you could go so many directions with that. But, yeah. Right. All right. That's good. Let's see. I see that we, we only got, I guess, Joe has one thing in, in Chapter 6. Yeah, all I'd like to point out in Chapter 6 is I've heard so many different theories on these scriptures. And, uh, and I'm going to give you my, I'm going to give you the truth. Uh, what these scriptures actually mean when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Oh, yeah. And that they took them <laughs> wives. <laughs> well, yeah. There are so many theories on who the sons of God are that saw the daughters of men. And uh, I'm going to tell you exactly who they were. So uh, they, who they are is, uh, I don't know who they are. And I'm going to tell you what else. <laughs> I couldn't care less who they are. <laughs> I try to make up all kinds of doctrines, I guess, yeah. with these verses. And I understand men sitting around the table. Hey, there's nothing wrong with, you know, kind of going back and forth. But yeah, some of this stuff is, to be honest, so, you know, you hate to say that something in the Word of God is not important, but probably couldn't be less relevant, maybe, <laughs> to what we need to do. Um, you know, people make up all kinds of theories about who these people were and i've heard a bunch of them but mm-hmm. i'm just like you know what i don't know who they are you don't know who they are and maybe someday in heaven we can ask god who they are but we got bigger yeah. fish to fry i feel like than arguing about who the sons of god were that saw the daughters of men yeah now that yeah now that is good preaching that's good yeah, yeah. the bible tells us to shun vain babblings Right, and then yeah. it also talks yeah. about the secret things that belong to the Lord. Um, you know, I don't know if that's one of those secret yeah. things that belong to the Lord, but the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot. There are, we could go into, there are some things that we know that they're not, like spirits, for example. Uh, uh, Jesus addressed that, but, you yeah. know, it's, there, we could we could 
say some of the things that we that they aren't, but we really don't know who they were. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, we definitely know who they're right. not. Exactly. So. Right. It's not angels. Right. But. Yeah. And with that, uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. Uh, so we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, Brother Joe, you have some notes here on Genesis chapter 9. You want to lead us into that? Yeah, Genesis chapter 9, um, verse 12. Uh, if you read it here, God, this is where, of course, rainbow. God made a token. Yeah, he made the rainbow. <laughs> and it seems to me when you read these scriptures that God, um, he said that there's not going to be any more waters are going to... Um, destroy all flesh and i think that even though god destroyed all flesh i kind of feel some or when i read these scriptures i can kind of reading into it again that god is sad about what just took place and he made a covenant with noah and he said it's never going to happen again um yeah you know god has like ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says that the lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked the flood wasn't yeah. a pleasurable thing to God. I, I believe that God was right. very sad about it. Yeah, uh, He was grieved yeah. about it. He wasn't. God isn't happy about people. Uh, he's not happy about uh, wicked people dying. And, you know, if you read that, God's cry is turn around and turn around. And, you yeah. know, that's been God's cry, um, you know, throughout the Bible. And even with the story of Noah, um, you know, that, that's been God's cry. And and God said that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna destroy the earth again, but we do see in Second Peter chapter three that well, by uh, water. I'm sorry, what was that? So oh, yeah, uh, by water yeah. he won't destroy the world. Right, again. he's not yeah. gonna destroy it by water. And and I don't. And again, God was sad about that, but we do see that God is gonna destroy uh, the earth um, with fire. But and then in Second uh, Peter three, Truth. verse nine, it says the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Talking about the coming of the Lord when when the next destruction uh, yeah. will take place. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think this just shows, um, you know, the long suffering of God how God really feels about humanity. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The only reason he hasn't come back again is because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should yeah. perish. But it's God's will that all men should come to repent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Amen. Um, next section is, I see we have a few notes here on Genesis chapter 11. Um See which one comes first. I see. Actually, they're kind of intertwined. So you, so uh, brother Joe and and brother Seth, you want to kind of hit that off since you got Seth. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I was about to say Joe. Go ahead, but I'll take it. <laughs> you know what I noticed reading through the uh, Genesis chapter eleven. You have uh, the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's a lot to be said there, but um, you notice. You know the uh, the people they they come together. You know in, in in eleven verse four, and they said, "Go to let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth." And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower 
which the children of men builded. That's verse five. Verse six, the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Mm-hmm. And then again, here's some more royal we going on. But go to let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Uh, and then in verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Mm-hmm. And so what the Lord did is he comes down. The The earth is all uh, here. You know, it all stems back to Noah, his three sons and their wives, you know, and Noah's wife. They're all one family. They're all one language at this time. Um, you know, really they're, they're all kind of one people. And so they're going to build this, obviously they, they, again, they, they have evil in their heart again, you know, they're, they're going to build this tower up into heaven. They're going to make themselves great. Um, they're going to make themselves a name and the Lord comes down and he sees this. He's like, you know what, humanity, you know, what in the world, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you know, I'm not having this. You're not, you're not, you're not me. And so, you know, he, he confounds their languages and he disperses them by, you know, um, you know, changing up their tongues, their dialects, their, their languages. And then he spreads them across the earth. And I think it's very interesting as apostolics, we like to point to the book of Acts as the role model for the early church, the role model for the church True. Uh, of salvation. And right. then not only that, but if you look um, in throughout the scriptures, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family now once we're in Christ. And yeah. so how, how does God do that again? Obviously, he dispersed the one family through the tongue, but then he brings it back together through the tongue again. And on the day of Pentecost, they all received the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues. And then there was people gathered from all these nations. And uh, everyone, they heard all these people that were gathered in Jerusalem speaking in their own language. I believe there was like 17 nations represented, 17 different, at least 17, 11 or 17, somewhere like that. Um, (laughs) Dialects um, mentioned there in the book of Acts. Right, right. And so, um, you know, but then God made one family out of this this tongue thing again. You know, the Bible says that we're the body of Christ, you know, and then first Corinthians twelve thirteen. for by one spirit, are we baptized into one body? And so when we receive the spirit, we speak in tongues, we're back into that family of God. So it's amazing. God uses the tongue to disperse humanity, but then he uses the tongue to bring humanity back together as one people. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually one thing that, uh, sorry, I'm kind of jumping there. We were already talking about Babel. Um, And, you know, we see here uh, in just two languages, we see what kind of happened with uh, God confounding the languages. We see that Babel in in the Hebrew language means confusion, but in the Assyrian language or the Akkadian language, whichever you'd like to call it, uh, means gate of God. Um, And that second one kind of shows what Nimrod was was kind of trying to do, um, that he was trying to, to... build kind of a, a gateway into the heavens to escape uh, from the destruction that God could bring upon the earth. Uh, right. Uh, I know that uh, through several studies and stuff like that, that, that Nimrod and Nimrod's wife is the, the beginning point of, of the majority of our, of the uh, idols and things like that, that people worship throughout the ages. Um, Nimrod being Baal in the Bible um, later on being called Hadad, Beelzebub, or Zeus. Um, 
Nimrod's wife was Astaroth. You'll see her Ishtar or Easter, um, Asherah and Aphrodite. Uh, these are these two people are what really started um, like the esoteric religions later on. Um, kind of what we're what we fight with, you know, even today. Some of the things um, I won't really go into that. I don't want to offend too much, but uh, Islam. Um, uses the same symbol that the the priests of Baal would use, um, that sickle uh, moon ha or the you know slice of a moon with a star in the middle was the same symbol that Baal used uh, with his priests, and so it's it's kind of interesting how that's even coming to today's time uh, with all of that. Right. Um, Brother Joe, what did you? What well, did you I have? think that the Tower of Babel. What's interesting to me is what the what these people were trying to achieve, uh, what they feared and what they were trying to protect themselves against is exactly what took place when God showed up. Because it says in verse 4, uh, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Mm -hmm. And really that's kind of the way that that false religion works is... Uh, you know, we're going to, uh, instead of turning to God, we're going to make up our own way and uh, mm -hmm. our own safety, our own protection. This is what we're going to trust in. And and the Lord came down to see it. And, uh, you know, you can imagine God coming down and saying, what is going on down here? And mm -hmm. we see the power of unity here. And there's so many things we could look at, the power of unity here. Uh, but what they were afraid of was being scattered abroad. And what did God do? Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad. Yeah. <laughs> and so their fears became a reality um, because they didn't place their trust in God. They had yeah. a man-made thing. Uh, they yeah. said, we're going to build this thing to reach up to heaven. Uh, we're not going to trust in God. And, um, you know, the, the false religion never works. It, it just doesn't. Yeah. And that, and that really was God's command to Noah. And his sons was to spread abroad in the earth. And these, uh, you know, they came to the land of Shinar and basically disobeyed God even there. Right. By, right. by not wanting to be scattered abroad. Right. Um, uh, so I see we have Genesis chapter 12 as well. I, uh, I think, um, I think that um, when the Lord called, of course, this is about Abram. When the Lord called Abram, he called him and he told him to uh, come out of the land where he was, out of that country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And then we see that um, Abram, even after God called him to leave his kindred, I think it's, you know, I think Abram made a mistake. Now, again, this is just me. You know, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe some of the others don't agree with me, but. Abram took a lot with him. I don't think he was supposed to, because God said, leave, no. leave, your, leave your kindred. I don't think that he yeah. was supposed to go with him, but he did anyhow. And then we see that as soon as Abram left, um, he built it in verse 7. He built an altar unto the Lord. And then from there, there was a famine that hit the land, and Abram traveled south down to Egypt. And there he had a little, um, you'll read it. But um, how he, yeah, <laughs> episode about the episode. How he said that, that Sarah, 
is a beautiful lady. Of course, my wife's name is Sarah Nine, and uh, and I, <laughs> you know, my my wife Sarah is beautiful too. But I don't think I would say that she's my sister just so they leave me, just so the people leave me alone. But, <laughs> you better not. But even, after all that, and you can read it, you'll understand what we're talking about. But Abram left from there, and he went back. And the Bible says that he came back to that first altar that he builded unto the Lord. He came back to it. And, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff. But I, I think that the, that altar represented something. It represented a commitment to God. And I think that Abram had to come back to that first altar's commitment. He had to rededicate, uh, maybe, you know, reevaluate some things. And it was at that altar that Abram and Lot split ways. I don't think that Abram was supposed to take Lot with him, um, but he did. But at this, when he came back to that first altar, him and Lot split ways. And we see that when they did that, when, when they split ways and uh, going on, I hope it's okay to skip to chapter 13 now. Yeah, yeah. Is, well, is where talk. we're at. But it says that, in 13 verse 14, the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, and westward. You know, after um, Abram and Lot split ways, God came back, talked to Abram again, get, kind of gave him some more direction again, some more promises, mm -hmm. reconfirmed it. God kind of renews his covenant with Abraham. Um, you know, I, I think that after Abraham kind of rededicated his life to God. Um, you know, maybe he reevaluates some things. Yeah. That's kind of good. That's, uh, That's good. brings to mind who you keep company with. Um, the scripture in Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Um, right. At some, at some point in your life, uh, you may have to say bye to relationships <laughs> that, yeah. that, that are, taking you away from God that are distracting, that are hindering you. Um, yeah. I would definitely say young person, if there's a young person listening, um, examine your friendships, examine yes. those you yes. keep close. Right. right. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, being a youth leader as well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing that I've, I've had to deal with personally, um, uh, letting go of some friendships so I could walk a little closer with God. Uh, and yeah, I miss, you know, my friends and stuff like that from time to time, but, but I, I do it all over again just to keep getting closer to the Lord. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, all right. I think that's all we have in Genesis. So now we have brother Joe, he has, you got the most notes, I think, in this, which is good. Well, keep this going. Uh, but you got uh, you got something that you noticed in Psalms chapter one, verse one. Yeah, I think that Psalms one, verse one, it says, "Blessed is the man." And you know, it's really the whole Psalms, uh, Psalms chapter one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, and nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And then it talks about, you know, what's the end of this man going to be? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Um, you know, he's going to bring forth his fruit and he's not going to uh, wither away. Uh, whatever he does is going to mm -hmm. prosper. 
and then it kind of contrasts that kind of um, the re end result of the ungodly. But that scripture, you know, it says that uh, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then the, the kind of the same in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it, it kind of says the same thing maybe. Um, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And I, I haven't really looked, I looked this up, but someone told me that, or I've heard a preacher say once, I believe, that that's the only time that success is mentioned in the Bible. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's tied to um, meditate on the word of God, meditate on the law. Like Psalms one one talks about uh, the 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 man that blessed is that the man that's uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord and says you're going to have good success. <clears throat> no, when I say good success, I don't necessarily I'm not talking about financially. Although I'm not a man, if God blesses you financially, praise God for it. You know I yeah thank God for it. I'm, I'm thankful, but more than that, you know how about being successful? To live for God. How about living above uh, sin? How about um, you know having a successful marriage? How about um, you know right. our kids yeah. living for God? Yeah. Things like that. That's good. We, this book of the law, you know, don't let it depart. Cherish it. Hold it close. Um, observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. You're going to have good success. And uh, and I believe that yeah. you know the power. Of the word of God. Amen. Good. Amen. I I uh, I was sitting there thinking I I really love how uh, how that flowed from what we were talking about with you know youth checking their friendships you know blessed is the man that walked not in the counsel of the ungodly right and then and then leads us right into understanding that you know what this podcast is all about that you know, we need to know our scripture. We need to know what it is that God has said to us in order for us to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, one, one was like the best, I don't know. I just got to say it was the best transition there. Uh, but with that, uh, listeners, I hope you have listened all the way to the end. Um, I hope that you found something in this uh, that maybe inspires you to dig a little deeper. Um, we hope that you, that you dig in. get closer to the Lord. Dig yeah. In. yeah. Dig in. I mean, dive deep. Um, if there's something that we didn't cover that as you're reading this next week, uh, that jumps out to you, I encourage you, we encourage you study it out and give us a shout, right. you know, talk to us. We'd love to know what you found. Uh, and you can do so by sending us a voice message through anchor.fm. Uh, you just go to our, our Scripture Unleashed page on Anchor, and you can hit uh, send a voice message. Uh, it will have you record, and we'll get it. Uh, we may use it. If you don't want us to use it, just say before, you know, don't use my recording, and we'll, we'll keep it out of there. Um, if you have any words of encouragement or any advice, you know, maybe some of us say, uh, or um, too much. Uh, or as Brother Anthony said, send us some hate mail, whatever. <laughs> Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. Send those over <laughs> to him. I'll give you his. I'll give you his email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. Let us know. Let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, what was that? 
I was going to say my phone number, my address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just, you can just send it all to him. Uh, <laughs> but we really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, this was our first episode. We pray that it's a blessing. We'll try to refine it as we go. Um, and we look forward to having you with us next week as we go through Genesis chapters 16 through 36 and Psalms chapter 4 through 6. Um, so we all say God bless. God bless. God bless. God bless you. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.